Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, I chose an episode from Frontier Gentlemen, a Western radio series author and historian John Dunning called the only serious rival to Gunsmoke. Frontier Gentleman was created, written, and produced for CBS Radio by Anthony Ellis. Among his many credits, Ellis wrote and directed several of the podcast's favorite productions of Escape, enjoyed a two-year stint as the director-producer on Suspense, and contributed some of Gunsmoke's most beloved episodes, including Kitty and Christmas Story, not to mention the inexplicably titled but expertly written Meshuggah. Featured on episode 207 of this podcast. Frontier Gentlemen told the story of J.B. Kendall, a British journalist who roamed the western United States in search of human interest stories. Ellis, an Englishman himself, combined his own experience as a stranger in a strange land with his love of American history to create what Radio Spirits described as a western adventure drama featuring rich and detailed character studies, all of which were filtered through the series' main character, J.B. Kendall. As a journalist, Kendall was dogged in his pursuit of a story, but also dignified and fair. His principles were more important to him than money or fame. Although averse to violence as a first resort, he was quick to lend his skill with a gun to a cause he thought was just. Kendall was played by John Daner, an experienced radio actor who frequently appeared as a guest star or supporting character in programs like The Whistler, Escape, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, and Gunsmoke. Shortly after a stint as a leading man in Frontier Gentleman, Daner was cast as Paladin in the radio version of Have Gun, Will Travel. Outside of radio, Daner had a long and successful career in film and television, beginning as an animator on the 1940 Disney film Fantasia and ending with an appearance in the 1989 television miniseries War and Remembrance. Daner was joined on Frontier Gentlemen by a stellar supporting cast, including Harry Bartell, Lawrence Dobkin, Virginia Gregg, Stacey Harris, Joseph Kearns, Jack Christian, Jeanette Nolan, and Vic Perrin. Sound effects were created by Tom Hanley and Bill James, who also provided soundscapes for Gunsmoke and Fort Laramie. The program's plaintive theme was composed by Jerry Goldsmith, who would go on to score such notable films as Logan's Run, Planet of the Apes, Patton, Chinatown, Alien, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Poltergeist, Gremlins, Total Recall, L.A. Confidential, The Mummy, and more. Despite its pedigree, Frontier Gentlemen lasted just one season, from February 2nd to November 16th, 1958. The good news is all 41 episodes still exist, so if you enjoy today's selection, you can saddle up and listen to them all. And now, let's listen to The Honky Tonkers from Frontier Gentlemen, first broadcast February 16th, 1958. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. There are places west of the Missouri where gambling stakes are rather high. 
This is particularly true when the wager depends on a man's life. Frontier Gentlemen. with an Englishman's account of life and death in the West. As a reporter for the London Times, he writes his colorful and unusual stories. But as a man with a gun, he lives and becomes a part of the violent years in the new territories. Now, starring John Daner, this is the story of J.B. Kendall, Frontier Gentleman. I had stayed in Montana Territory hoping for an interview with Sitting Bull or even Crazy Horse. But General Crook's attack across the Tongue River put an end to that hope, at least for the time being. And so, with a full-fledged Indian war exploding around me, I had no choice but to remain where I was. The settlement with a normal population of perhaps a hundred had swollen to four times that number. The saloon keeper, gambler, and others were doing a thriving business, and the... The most popular spot in town was undoubtedly a place bearing the rather, oh, sanguinary legend, Jug of Blood. It was what is known as a honky-tonk. I was passing outside when the trouble began. The doors flew open and half a dozen brawling men erupted in the street. In sheer self-defense, I became a combatant. My dear fellow, I haven't the slightest idea. He's a good fighter. Jolly good. Oh, just some no good son of a gun was cheating at poker. And no good son of a gun. Really? Yeah. One of those... Uh, how should I know? I wasn't playing. I just heard it all. Yeah. You know, if there's anything I hate, it's uh, no good cheating. Son of a gun. Yes. Bad form. I don't blame you. Hey, well, what's your hurry? Now, if you'll pardon me. Hey, come on in and have a drink. No, I don't think so. Thank you. Oh, come on. There's mighty pretty little gals in there. Yeah. You know, Jake Hotter hired them all the way out from back east. It was on the way up to Virginia City. Well, his Sue Ruckus was held him old. I'm sorry to hear it, but now, really, I must be going. Oh, mister, you ain't seen such dancing, such carrying on. I'll be a son of a gun if I'll let you move on without seeing the nicest bit of female woman flesh this side of St. Louis. Son of a gun, come on, let's go. You won't be sorry. <laughs> There's a table over there. Right. Well, it's kind of early. Still a little quiet. She'll warm up by and by. Hey, her name is Smith, Walleye Smith. 
J.B. Kendall, Mrs. Smith. Howdy. Hey, what are you drinking? Oh, I'll take a beer if you don't mind. Oh, it'll make no never mind to me. Jake! Yeah? A beer from a pound of whiskey for me. Tell Annie to bring him over. Okay. J.B. Kendall, huh? J.B. Hey, you ain't a kid in Arizona, Kendall's down at Tombstone? No. What's your business, mister? I'm inside from fighting. I'm a newspaper correspondent. Oh. No, I know. Hmm. Well, I'm a cowpuncher myself. Got paid off last week. This here is a good place to spend your money. <laughs> hey, how you like that there picture over the bar? Ain't she something? <laughs> well, there's quite a bit of her, isn't there? What'd you say? I say there's quite a bit of her, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. A little out of proportion here and there. Ample. Well, son of a gun, I like you, Kendall. <laughs> I like you. Son of a gun. Hey, what paper are you write for? London Times. Well, son of a gun. Hey, Annie. Hiya, Mr. Smith. <laughs> hey, sweetheart, this here's J.B. Kendall. Hi. He writes for a newspaper, London Times. He's an important man. Now you go call Crystal. Now drinks are on me. Sure, Mr. Smith. Hey, Crystal! <laughs> yeah, me, I go for the nice fat ones. There's something you can grab a hold on. Never did like dancing with them skin and bone gals. I gather Annie is your choice, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's some looker, huh? Oh, no doubt of it, Mr. Smith. Of course, now, there ain't nothing wrong with Crystal. She's the one close herding with that son of a gun, Bill Baskin. Uh, see? I paid uh, I don't think he's taking kindly to your friend Annie's suggestion. Uh, he's a raunchy buzzard, ain't he? He's drunker than all. Uh, I say, uh, look here, old boy. We don't want to cause any more trouble. You and your young lady have a nice evening. I'll be running along. Oh, sit down. I owe you for that fight. I always pay my debts. Well, here they come. Ladies, meet J.B. Kent. Uh, this here is Crystal, J.B. Crystal, how do you do? Go on, sit in his lap, sweetheart. The poor uh, fellow ain't feeling his oats yet. Well, well, no, I, I'm, I'm sure Miss Crystal will be much more comfortable in a chair. Come here, Annie. Here we are. <laughs> uh, would you, um, you care for a drink? No, thanks. Oh. Uh, the, the, the gentleman you were dancing with, uh, he seems rather upset. Him? Oh. Are you sure I can't get you something? What's the matter? You don't like me? Ain't I good enough to sit in your lap? <laughs> Not at all. I'd be delighted, but... Uh, but I'm Wild Bill Bascom, and ain't no man nor dog what takes my gal away from me. You riding hurt on Crystal Bell? I ain't riding hurt on no one. But I paid good hard cash, and I'm going to have my dance out. You go rattle hocks out of here. And I said goose hockey to you, all I Gentlemen, I think the language is getting a trifle ripe. After all, there are ladies present. Well, who are you, you son of a gun? The name is Kendall. Well, goose hockey to you, You Kendall. had your ride, mister. I ain't dancing no more with you. He'd like to stop my feet off, Mr. Kendall. I rather, think, I rather think it's up to the lady. Don't you, chum? Lady? She ain't no lady. 
Bill. Son of a gun. Bill, I'm right. giving you one second to rattle Hawks out, and then I'm going to blow your ears off. No, 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 no. Oh, no need of that, are. Mr. Smith. You'll go along quietly, won't you, Mr. Bascom? You think you're a pretty big son of a gun, don't you? Well, you don't stampede me, mister. Now, come on, girl. Oh, Not at all polite. You're breaking my arm. Then, then be a good chap, and as Mr. Smith puts it, Listen, go man, rattle your heart. Ain't no son of a gun telling me what to do. I'm Wild Bill Bascom. And Get out! He's pulling his gun! You killed me. What's he mean, you killed him? He shot himself. You didn't even draw on him. I don't allow no gun shooting in here. Uh, Jake, it's Bill Baskin. He aimed to salivate Mr. Kendall here, and he killed himself instead. Oh, the silly son of a gun. Now, you boys, you get him up out of there. That, that rug cost me $300. Will somebody get a doctor? He's not dead. Uh, I bet he is. How much you bet, mister? He ain't dead. I seen him move. Look. Why don't you shut your mouth? Get him off my rug. Take him in back. You can put him on the faro table. Give me a hand. Yeah, sure. Somebody yeah. find a doctor, please. Ain't no doctor except an army surgeon. He's getting himself scalped oh, by the shoe. Well, that's true. Ain't no doctor around here. Yeah. I never knew Carefully he was now. heavy. Carefully. Oh, all right, break up the game, boys. There's a goner here. Needs a table. Come on, fellas. I tell you, all right, all right, boys. Put him down. I'm dying, boy. Give me a drink. I'll get it. Put him down, I said. Put him down. All right, he's there. My old marking. See me now. Annie, see if you can find some bandages. Clean rag, hot water. Sure. And don't you fret, Bill. Uh, You're going to be just fine. Well, i got to get back to the bar. Anything you boys need, you let me know. Whiskey's on the house, Baskin. You're a good man, Jay. I'll put in a word for you when I get where I'm going. Yeah, well, you do that. So long. All right, now. Let's get that jacket off, Baskin. Oh. Mister... You treat me like I, I don't deserve. Don't talk now, Smith. Get the other arm. Oh, sure. Hey, no, I no. Now wait a minute. Now look, I, I ain't kidding you. These are my dying words. I, <coughs> I tried to kill you. In my drink, I, I, I tried to, and it's heavy on my conscience. Well, I sure wish I had me a preacher to make my peace with. Bill, will you shut your I... son of a gun mouth and let us get this here jacket no. off of you? Yeah. I ain't... Careful now. Uh, uh, there we are. Now I have to tear the shirt. No. No, boy. This here's my my bare shirt. I, I want to be buried in it. Here's a whiskey, Bill. Let me cop his head up. Crystal, you... Angel of mercy, that... That's what you are, Crystal. You. Crystal girl, I'm asking your forgiveness, sweetheart. I acted purely like a broom tail with you. Forget it, Bill. Finish your drink. Does look mean, don't it, Mr. Smith? Smith, come over here. Mm-hmm. 
Just hold it still. I reckon he ain't got long. You know, if he don't bleed to death, it's gangrene for sure. Now, we can stop the bleeding, I think. But we've got to get that bullet out. Oh, ain't nobody around here crazy enough to try that. Ain't no sense carving up the poor son of a gun. Let him die comfortable like he He doesn't have to die. There might be a chance. Will you help? Help what? Operate on him. You're loco. There's nothing to lose. How about another drink, boy? I'm going fast. All right, Give him all he wants, Crystal. Keep pouring it into him. Now you think it's fitting for a man to die yes. drunk? I think it's fitting for a man not to feel any more pain than he has to. What you doing with that knife? I told you I'm going to take that bullet out of him. If you want to help me, good. If not, you'll oblige me by rattling your hocks out of here. In a moment, we return to Frontier Gentlemen. Poor Jack Benny. The gang arranges a surprise party for him on his birthday. But the surprise backfires in a hilarious way today on CBS Radio's Jack Benny program. Never mind the greeting cards. Forget about buying him a present. Just be sure to join us on most of these same stations later on today when everybody has a good time at Jack Benny's birthday party, except Jack himself. And now we return you to Anthony Ellis' production of Frontier Gentlemen. There are some men who possess a rather odd sentimentality about pain and death. They don't hesitate to empty a gun into a living body. With clear and shining conscience, they do this deed. But for those same men to retrieve a life, to cut into flesh to do so, that is a different matter. Walleye Smith was of this type. The thought of operating on Bill Bascom offended his sense of delicacy. Oh, you ain't no doc. You can't do that. I can bloody well try. No bandages, so I tore a sheet up. And here's your water. Good girl. Put it down on the table. Now, which one of you ladies will help? I will. Oh, sure. Me too. All right. We'll try to stop the bleeding first. How do you feel, Bill? I'm dying, partner. How about another drink? Annie. Sure. Crystal, take some sheeting. Press it over the wound. Keep holding it there. Son of a gun, Kendall, I say you can't do it. My dear fellow, will you step over here for a moment? Now, now, Smith, look here. The fact that Bascom might die is partially my fault. How come? He shot himself. Circumstances. Kismet. Well, you ain't no doc. So you said. You'll kill him. If we're lucky, I won't. If a man's luck runs out, that's the end. Don't pay to go again, nature. At a less pressing moment, I should be delighted to enter into a philosophical discussion with you, Smith, but not just now. Now, be a good chap and don't argue. Look, I ain't arguing, you son of a gun. I'm telling you, you ain't going to cut Bill up. Smith, I took you for something more than a thick-headed clodhopper. I see I was mistaken. Oh, mister, you go on talking like that, there's going to be another dying man in here. Oh, dear. Awfully sorry. Son of a gun. What's the matter with you boys? You stop, you hear? Now, Smith, clear out and stay out. Oh, son of a gun. Now, how's our patient? 
finished half the bottle. There's enough rot gotten him to melt that bullet. <laughs> Wishful thinking, my dear. Bill. I'm going to take the bullet out. He'll do. All right, Crystal. Take a handful of rags. And when I tell you, wipe the blood away. What do you want me to do? Hold his hand. Try to keep him still. Oh. Ready? Yes. Here we go. I didn't know how deeply the bullet had penetrated. I could only guess at its approximate direction. I made an incision. Wipe. Wipe. There you see, son of a gun, carving him up like a piece of buffalo meat. Hey, you can't do that, mister. I'm doing it. Get out. A hundred said Bascom makes it. Who said that? Me. You're on. Wipe. He ain't breathing so good. I know. I'm... Will you get out? No, no, not me. I got money on Bill. Anybody else want to make a little bet? Yeah. Fifty still alive in two hours. Odds on that, two get you one. A bet. Wipe. Oh, why don't you go on out? We're trying to save him. You go right on trying, Annie. Anybody else? Well, I'd like maybe... Kettle, what do you think? Has he got a chance? How the devil should I know? Sure is a mess, ain't he? Hey, poor old Bill, he was a good man. Yeah, he sure could top a horse. Jake, 200, he's still alive come 4 o'clock. Uh, it's midnight now. I'll take it. All right, now, Candle, you son of a gun, you pull him through. You want a chance to win? Oh, sure I do. Get these people out. All right, come on, Jake. No, 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 I'm staying. I got a big investment in that boy. Very well. I'm finished. You stay here. I won't go on. Let him die. I oh, see. Let him die. All right, all right, all right. We'll wait outside. Now, Walleye, you stay. You give us a word every five minutes. Well, sure. Oh, hold him, hold him, hold him down. Hold him. I got you, Billy boy. Rest easy. Easy. Now, please. Now, I can't find it. I can't. Can't find it. Give me a rag, Crystal. Here. Thank you. Mm. Look at the color of him. He's going. Annie, give him whiskey, quickly. Sure. Yes. That's better. Uh. Ah. I can feel it. I, I, I can feel it. Yes. It's there. Yes, I've got it. Wipe crystal. Ah, now, ain't that something? I never did see a piece of lead dug out before. Son of a gun. Hey, everybody, he got it out! And the son of a gun is still alive!
We bound up the wound, made him as comfortable as we could. He'd lost a great deal of blood and was terribly weak. There was nothing to do now but wait. The two girls stayed in the room with me, and there was something very different about them. Both were far from being beautiful, but there was a softness, a quality of loveliness, which made their garish costumes seem completely out of place. Howdy. Uh, How's she coming? Uh, About the same. You know, there's better than 10,000 been bed outside. It's 3.30 now. You you think he'll live till 4? He might. I got 200 says he got to. And obviously he's got to. (laughs) Kind of funny if he does pull through, though, huh? It'll be a miracle. He ain't a bad son of a gun. Sure looks white. Quiet. Almost like a kid, don't he? Uh, anything I can do, Kendall. Say a prayer if you feel like it. Man, I, I ain't a praying man, but I, I hope he makes it. Uh, not on account of my 200, I just hope he makes it. For you, that's a prayer, Smith. <clears throat> you ought to have a drink. No, no, thank you. Well, I, I, I'll go out and, and keep them all quiet. Yes, that's a good idea. Mister? Yes, Crystal? I know a prayer. You think it'd help? I don't know. It might. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff. Bascom. Bascom. Bill? How do you feel? Bill? Can you hear me, Bascom? I'm dying, boy. Give me a drink. Wild Bill Bascom didn't die. A number of people won money because of it, and a number of others lost. Mr. Smith insisted on dividing his winnings with me. During his presentation speech, he was so overcome that not once did he refer to me as a son of a gun, an omission I was happy to overlook. Frontier Gentlemen was written, produced, and directed by Anthony Ellis and stars John Daner as J.B. Kendall. Featured in the cast were Jack Crucian, Stacey Harris, Virginia Gregg, Eve McVeigh, Barney Phillips, and Charles Seal. Music was composed and conducted by Jerry Goldsmith. Pearl Bailey, Nat King Cole, and Eartha Kitt may not tell all to Mitch Miller tonight, 
But knowing Mitch as we do, we're sure his talented visitors will feel free to talk about anything and everything of interest. For an informal get-together with some of the brightest names in show business, hear The Mitch Miller Show every Sunday night on most of these same stations. Now stay tuned for The Ford Road Show, which follows immediately over most of these same stations. Join us again next week for another report from The Frontier Gentleman. John Wall speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network. That was the Honky Tonkers from Frontier Gentlemen here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that's Joshua bringing that pick to us this week, a new uh, series that he's uh, just discovered. And uh, not only have you brought this to us tonight, but you mentioned it at our show the other night. Uh, You really like this series. Yes, I do. In fact... In order to choose an episode, I listened to all 41 oh episodes God. of this series over the last month. Let me ask a question. Was this the best out of the 41? Okay, I'm going to back up here because I was prepared for where I know this is going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being, I have I'm being a, coy. <laughs> I need to stop the recording now and explain coy to Eric, but... Uh, <laughs> Let's put a pin in that for now and say that it was incredibly difficult for me to pick an episode to bring to the podcast from this series. And I think the only other series that has caused me this much consternation in picking an episode was the one episode of Nightbeat that we have listened to. And ironically, we'll be listening to another episode of Nightbeat next week. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking, like, why is this so hard? Because I love this series, and I had this sort of aha moment kind of about the podcast and why certain shows are hard to present here. And I think it is because this started out as a showcase for essentially anthology suspense and horror stories. Mm -hmm. And in that context, each episode you bring really lives and dies within that single episode. There are no recurring characters. There are no recurring locations. uh, There is not a bigger, broader world-building picture to understand when you listen to an episode of Suspense. However, when you get into shows like Nightbeat, when you get into shows like Frontier Gentleman or Dragnet, as Mm -hmm. uh, Eric, you did not like Dragnet at all when you first listened to it. You had to listen to a lot because, yes, you judge a single story by uh, certain... Mm-hmm. elements of it and you know whether the narrative self-contained works or not but you also evaluate it based on the recurring characters what it adds to the series as a whole what it tells you about the setting and the n- main character and so it's really hard to just pick out a sliver of that and present it by itself right and also with nightbeat i was like i'm trying to find this episode that will hook Eric and Tim and please them and that is the kiss of death every time you get in it so I listened to all 41 episodes and I said screw it 
I think Eric and Tim are probably going to hate the hell out of this episode, but I love it to death, and it is everything I love about Frontier Gentlemen. It is not the best episode, but the best episodes of Frontier Gentlemen require, I think, a certain amount of context with the series. So I started here. We're not ready for the best You guys need to sit down and shut up, because I've got a whole (laughs) podcast worth of things to say. All right, so we'll see you in about an hour. <laughs> you just keep rambling then. Uh, I'll start with this. Uh, there are two definitions. One, coy means making a <laughs> pretense of shyness or modesty that is intended to be alluring. So, yeah. But it also means a reluctance to give details, especially about something regarding as sensitive. Mm-hmm. It's also a goldfish. <laughs> so, I meant the second one, not the sex one. Oh, oh yeah, I knew you didn't mean the sex one. I've seen your sex coy. Uh, also needs some I, work. That's how, I, that's how I got into the podcast. When I was being coy. Mm-hmm. Nice goldfish. <laughs> uh, for someone that had never listened to Frontier Gentlemen, first of all, when you read our intro... Wow, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of really, really strong actors and people behind this show, right? Okay. For me to listen to that episode, this is what I walked away with. That was weird. (laughs) That was so weird. That's But that was my walk away from listening to it, if I had to sum it up. That was super weird, listening to him, not really listening to him, but knowing he was just digging a bullet out of a guy. (laughs) So... It was this weird. Reminds was me thing. of my high school creative writing class <laughs> where the teacher would say, Now, we need to learn to discuss things in, in more depth when you say weird. Right. It was weird. What's weird? The main point of this is there's a guy that gets shot and he's going to save him doing experimental, not even experimental, surgery for the first time in his life. And then people are gambling on it, right? It took a while to get to that castle. You know what I'm saying? So the opening part for me was, oh, that's a lot of setup to get to here. It didn't suck me in, but I didn't also say, wow, this is terrible. I thought the acting was great. I think the uh, production value was great. There wasn't anything about it. I'm like, oh my God, what the hell am I listening to? I was just like, yeah, this is weird. It's <laughs> the best way I can say it. Tim, it ran very hot and cold for me, particularly that opening like eight minutes Again, not having the context of what this series is. I I should also say this is episode three. So there isn't a lot of context by the time you get to this. And this is the episode that made me go, I am completely on board for this series because of the choices it makes. But the tone of this opening is kind of clownish. It's establishing, and I appreciate it in the big picture, like for as much as these guys are drinking air quotes, dancing with the girls. Um, <laughs> the, this is a bunch of kids, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, the interactions are goofy. Uh, and he's just sort of caught up in the, like, oh, okay, you'll buy me a drink, all right. And then it changes gears radically. And that change in gears, I appreciated it afterwards the notion that it, it's set up subtly in the background of the the building of the Indian wars around them and this broader sense of these guys are in the business of violence and don't really have a sense of the consequences of it uh, and that that was reflected in the plot of 
that only these two women would help him actually do this surgery. Everyone else involved just like this was nothing more than another source of fun for them. All that being said, though, well, no, there's one more thing to add. Because I didn't know what the story was, who this character was really supposed to be, I was convinced until the end that he was going to reveal, like, I shot him. This is a room full of people who were drunk, who had no mm-hmm. idea. I pulled my gun out and shot this guy and put my gun away. I was right. convinced that was what happened. That seemed more plausible to me than this guy pulled his gun out and shot himself. Right. So that's funny because that is what made me fall in love with this particular episode is that moment where uh, Kendall is going to toss this guy out for not being a gentleman, which is just absurd in this moment. This is not a residency of gentlemanly behavior, you know, but he's going to stick to his guns literally and figuratively, depending on the situation and throw this guy out. But when we hear one of the girls call out, like, uh, look out, he's pulling his gun and there's that shot and there's silence. Then that very quiet thing from Bascom of son of a gun, you killed me. And like you said, I thought this is incredibly tense. This tone has changed. And then it changes again because we've got Walleye Smith saying, what are you talking about? You shot yourself. Right. Which clearly, based on the looks on you guys' faces, I had a completely different reaction (laughs) to that. I kind of punched the air. Like, I did not see that coming, but it's totally established. This is a bar full of menial laborers who get their pay all day being a cow puncher or whatever all week. And they come and they just spend it all on alcohol. They are blotto. And so that is just what drew me into this story of consequences of this type of life and of living violently. And it's the kind of thing you don't see in other Westerns. Everyone who draws a gun is a dangerous man who means it. And I just thought centering a story around the foolish use of firearms in the Wild West is a stroke of genius. And I would have been fine if it was just about that. But then the switch to me, where it's the principles of Kendall, that he is going to save this man's life. That is another element of the story for me is like 50-50, like good for you trying to save this guy's life. And the other half is like, no, they're right. You're killing this guy. (laughs) (laughs) But he's going to die for sure. Yes. I think that's pretty clear. And I think that's the authorial voice. And it also serves on another level, to be this commentary on men who are will gladly hand out death-dealing violence, but are squeamish on the other side of it. When it comes to the consequences of their actions, they're like, well, that ain't natural, because that gets them out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Shooting a guy ain't natural either, but that's the bravado side of it. So I think, to me, that narrative twist serves to be both a plot twist on a fundamental level, but also a thematic mm-hmm. twist that I enjoy. There, there, are, there are parts where I, I fight with the narrative, and that is one of them of like, well, he lived. Like, did he? Did he live? <laughs> you just don't buy it. Yes, I know consciously, like, yes, it is totally plausible that he went in, he got that bullet out, and patched that guy up, and he lived. But the, I'm also like, then he died of sepsis a week later. I mean, oh, yeah. I think that's <laughs> right. totally true. He, that's part of the story is that he moves on. He lived long enough for all the bets to be settled. <laughs> right. Because that's the other twist I love is that this sort of bravado needs to somehow find an outlet. They don't want Kendall to operate on him. And they're going to tell him it's unnatural. They're going to fight him until they suddenly realize they can redirect that energy into some other manly endeavor, betting on whether he's going to live or die. And I 
I'm so alone, listeners. <laughs> Tim and Eric are looking at me like a junior high guidance counselor, and no. I'm saying, I want to be an astronaut. That is the look I am getting from I, these two men. First of all, you're misinterpreting the look. What you are getting from me right now is deeply listening, because okay. this is what I know at the top of this. Oh, Joshua loves this. I was not taken in by it. I am desperate to find out why he loves this. The silence is just, uh, I'm enthralled. I will confess, too, that the opening eight minutes is the main thing that sort of threw me off of this. Um, all the things that I, I later like, I appreciate this in retrospect, but part of it was the music, mm-hmm. which I realized, like, this is very prestigious music, but it was like, this feels to me like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. This thing talking is, about the theme music? Yes. Okay. And then that it kicked into wacky bar fight that were, and so that section, it establishes important things thematically, but the experience of listening to it was like, this is a largely insubstantial story. Then you may not like this series because like Nightbeat, it reminds me a lot of Nightbeat. It's basically Nightbeat instead of set in Chicago, it's the Wild West. And they are character studies. They're human interest stories. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there are some stories that are more like action or race against the clock. And to me, they're nowhere near as compelling as the vast majority of human interest stories that Mm -hmm. are the heart of this series. And the twist, like, I'm on board of like, okay, now this character, there's interesting things happened, but a third of the story was me listening to it sort of like, okay. Some squishy sounds while he's digging for the bullet would have helped. (laughs) Speaking of production sounds, one thing I loved about this is the bravery of having the volume of that saloon be so loud that you were just right on the edge when they first went in there to have a drink of being able to hear what they were saying. And it's conscious on their part because you even have the line of dialogue from Walleye Fish where it's like, it's a little quiet in here right now, but it's really going to pick up later. And you can barely hear him saying it. There was some great production value of uh, people coming to the table and walking away that really was an amazing piece of production in the sense of building theater of the mind. I could see the exact size of the place and how many people were in it. Mm-hmm. So I'll give it that. Well, Tim spoke about the the first third of it, throwing him off a little. And for me, just to speak in its defense a little, I found someone just ending up in a bar fight and not even knowing who's hitting who for <laughs> right. any reason seemed really quite funny to me. And again, it could be the other episodes I have heard of this series, so I know Kendall's character and that he would just get swept along and do his best to punch people as lightly as possible. And then because he's looking for a story, try to have a drink with this guy. But the last piece I want to make sure we don't miss and that I think is interesting about this is the discussion of women at the top when they sit down in the bar and uh, Walleye Joe points out this picture above the bar and um, Kendall talking about, well, she's a little ample for my taste. It kind of seems like a throwaway joke, but I think it's actually somewhat significant by the time you thread this through to the very end when the girls that he's been a little dismissive of, but also willing to be chivalrous to, but that's less about them and more about him as a man. Um, he sees them in this completely different light because they are so separated in behavior from these men that he's surrounded with. And he does say in that end where he looks at them, it's a great passage where he says, you know, uh, they weren't 
beautiful, but under the, I can't remember how it goes, but yeah. you know, under the surface, there, there's gentleness and all this, and there's this acknowledgement he is not seeing what is really there. Yeah. I just found it a really moving scene when they are saying the psalm. Mm-hmm. There's a great moment of production value where script writing can paint a picture. And it was that moment that you were talking about where he was talking about them. I didn't remember exactly how it was stated, but that in their costumes, in their yeah. garish mm-hmm. costumes, yep. and you realize, oh, right, they're in these giant feathered, yeah, tons of makeup. The and implication is they're prostitutes, of right? Of course, And they yes. have become nurses here, and they're now praying over this guy who he's so drunk he shot himself. But when you get that description and you realize oh right they're dressed like that like clowns out of a circus almost in here performing this act of mercy and in that context of the the line of dialogue is being referred to like you can have imagined them in that same costume at the beginning of the scene and it seemed perfectly in context of the scene Mm -hmm. but then at the end when you imagine that same costume you see like that's a ridiculous costume they are forced Mm -hmm. to wear all the time right on a lighter note, I enjoy all the Wild West slang. In I was going to say, the language so saucy. <laughs> what, what, did they, what was the swear word? Uh, a bunny uh, chuck? I can't no, remember. No, it was goose hockey. Goose hockey. Yes, that was, that was the one that that's getting a little blue, gentlemen. <laughs> there are ladies present. And a lot of sons of guns. Yes. <laughs> what did I just say? Bunny chunk? I think I just said bunny chunk. <laughs> That's another episode, the bunny chunkers. It's an amazing episode of the series. I think we should bleep it every time that we say bunny chunk. Just, just to guess what you said. I'm going to start swearing with that. Ah, bunny chunks. <laughs> Thanks, Frontier Salesman. <laughs> <laughs> or what was it? Gentleman. <laughs> oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> this is all kind of nice things. Ah, <laughs> oh, bunny chunks. At least I didn't listen to 41 episodes to bring this. <laughs> but the joke's on you guys, because I now They're have... Ep- yeah, I have about 10 episodes yeah. for sure that will be coming to this Good. podcast. And, you know, maybe I'll record them alone. Good. <laughs> Are there any that have any ghosts in them or anything? No. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> so uh, I will say this based on my love and respect for you and the fact that you love it, I am going to give it another chance. And Thank I will. You. No, I'm saying that, that, yeah, okay, because as you said, I walked out of Dragnet the first time and said, was that just a half an hour of guys drinking coffee before I went? That was a half hour of guys drinking coffee. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I think that really describes my uh, feeling about uh, Frontier Gentleman. It's that thing where you go, is this what this is? This is what this is. Right. Right. So, I mean, I don't mean to suggest that your responses are ridiculous, and I really thought this was exactly what your responses would (laughs) be. Uh, But I would rather bring an episode that I really loved and get this response than an episode I really thought you guys would like and still get this response. Right. I also have to share that when you had told us I'd be listening to an episode of Frontier Gentlemen, in my head, it was going to be a half hour of, oh, no, you first. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Chippendale? No, no, no. no, Just very, very polite. I'm like, uh, let me get your chair for you. (laughs) Yeah, the squirrels, Chippendale or chipmunks. Oh, I think we the strippers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're very polite. I you, May I take this off for you, ma'am? <laughs> I thought you meant the furniture. No, 
no, you know, the cartoon, they're very polite. No, no, no. Oh, After yes. you, have to, uh, okay. I had to go back for that. I'm going to vote first. Get it out of the go way. Ahead. It didn't strike me as anything that, that I liked, but I can't wait to give it another try in another episode. Uh but I thought the production value was great, and I am starting to understand your attraction to it, like what it is that you're talking about. So it's interesting. I like it a lot better now after listening to you than I did when we started. But I still have this thing where I do That was weird. <laughs> That's the difference between us, because I'm like, that was weird. Right, right. Well, we've had that happen a lot. Yeah. Yes, the... Oftentimes, an episode that I listen to that radically changes tone is exciting for me. Of like, I didn't see that coming. That's not at all what I wanted. And for whatever reason, this one, the opening tone, it put me off a little bit. Of like, I'm not. This is not what I was hoping this would be. And then when it did change in the moment of listening to it, of like, okay, now I see what's what's so exciting about this. And then the punch it packs. I was still a little resentful of like, well, we're going to start at this you know, the part of the show a little bit sooner. <laughs> um, yes. And when the whole thing was said and done and I was thinking about it, there was lots of things that bubbled to the surface of like, that's really amazing. That part of the script is really cool. It's just, I need to be honest that in the moment of listening to it, that opening eight minutes like uh, threw me. So I think it stands the test of time. Definitely. Because... It's got some onion skin to it of things that you right. dig and dig and dig. Mm-hmm. But I'm with you, the, the getting to the castle part of it. It was slow to get there. I will tell you there are no castles in Frontier Junction. <laughs> <laughs> None at all. Wrong time period. Uh, so you might be disappointed. It takes its time. But obviously I've already that <laughs> I was adding the Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse in Montana. Is that right? Yeah, that's probably fine. That's probably fine. <laughs> I have not done the historical research to know how accurate this is, but there are... It's not bad. There are some historical episodes in here in which he is literally just an observer. He barely interacts with it, and he just observes historical moments. Um, yeah, anyway, I'll stop talking about all 41 episodes of this series that I listened to. But yeah, I definitely think this stands the test of time for all the reasons I've already said. I would not argue that for the general old-time radio listening population that this is a classic you must listen to to me it is a classic of the series because i think it displays many of the attributes that make the series as a whole a classic right kind of convoluted i'm sorry but it has that, that dark humor that is threaded throughout the series that i really like very eccentric characters uh, there is a willingness that might be a, a roadblock to eric but a willingness to tell small stories with small stakes really personal stakes um there is this tension throughout between violence as a cause of injustice and then violence as a bulwark against injustice and that tension there about when to use it and when not to and that is here as well and it just has that proximity between the ridiculous and the sublime the profane and the divine like the prostitutes praying over the drunk who shot himself that i just think is beautiful and john danner's voice i could listen to him read a phone book i love it so i guess i have really established during the course of this podcast that i like frontier (laughs) (laughs) i want to throw in finally that at one point a true story walking by a house in college a fight poured out on to me and two friends, like poured out of the house and literally fell on top of us. 
and we just joined in. I have literally been in that fight and just started swinging at people and lasted about 20 minutes. And when it was done, a guy had me by the shirt and we our arms were cocked back and he was, wait a minute, who are you? <laughs> I said, I'm the frontier gentleman. I don't know. You're welcome. I was walking Pardon by. Me. walking by and I got hit. And he said, oh. And uh, we ended up going inside that house and um, drinking beers with all of them for all night. This, did someone shoot themselves and you dig out the bullet? <laughs> but crazy? You, I love, he's like, well, this happened to me, but it's weird. <laughs> So unbelievable. Not that part wasn't weird. I love hate you right now. (laughs) Tim, tell him stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. We have many, many, many other episodes of this podcast there. Uh, And if you go later in time, you'll probably find up to 41 episodes of Frontier Gentlemen. Um, (laughs) You can send us a message. You can request episodes. You can leave comments on episodes, vote in a poll, let us know which of us that you uh, agree with and which of us you think is being cruel and unnecessarily cruel to the others. Um, and you can link to our social media pages, our Threadless store to buy some swag, or to our Patreon page. Yes, go to patreon.com slash themorals and support this podcast. I'm thinking of a whole new reward where I just talk about all 41 episodes of Frontier Gentlemen. <laughs> Reward? Ad nauseum. Or punishment. <laughs> if you donate enough, we will remove you from this list. <laughs> uh, so yeah, just, uh, you never know what's going to happen, whether you're going <laughs> to be rewarded or punished. Just join <laughs> patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. If you'd like to see us performing live, we do audio theater, live uh, stage recreations of uh, classic old-time radio shows and a lot of our own original work. You can find out where we're performing every month and what we're performing by going to ghoulishdelights.com or mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com. There you can find out all that information and get a ticket and come see us live. Or you can watch us online and you can watch that online version whenever you want if you buy a ticket. So you don't even have to be there the night of the performance. And speaking of Patreon, I never mention this when I do that part of it. Uh, you get those free, don't you, as a yeah. Patreon? So oh, yeah. if you're a Patreon, you don't even need to do that. You can just watch those shows later. So look at that. There's another perk to Patreon. That's at the $5,000 level, though, right? <laughs> it pays for itself, ladies and gentlemen. What is coming up next? Next, we have a listener request. As I mentioned earlier, we'll be listening to an episode of Night Beat in honor of Father's Day. Not sure if it's going to happen before or after Father's Day, or maybe even in July, the month after Father's Day, whenever this is released in the general proximity of Father's Day. It's an episode entitled Expectant. You guessed it, Father. Until then, look out! Ah, bunny. <laughs>